Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host Icy Cedric, blogger, fantasy author and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Well, hello there and welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with me, your host, Icy Sedgwick. As I record this, it's absolutely tipping it down, so if you can hear a weird noise in the background, it's probably just the rain. But let's be honest, if it can't rain in November, when can it rain? I will, however, resist the urge to make a Guns N' Roses reference. Aren't you lucky? Anyway, last week we had a look at Dartmoor and a range of its weird stories, obviously not all of them. Dartmoor has far more than I could fit into 15 minutes. And likewise, so does Northumberland, which is where we're going today. And Northumberland obviously is very close to my heart. It's the county right next to Newcastle where I live. I've been into Northumberland I don't know how many times. And it's a funny thing because it's beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous in Northumberland. But if you do venture into the hills and moors, you do notice just how bleak the scenery gets. And it is beautiful no matter what time of year, but it you always get a sense of it being quite windswept and desolate. And it was it was actually in Northumberland National Park, which is where I recorded my interview with Jez Law for BBC Radio 4's Open Country series. And you just stand in there looking at this expanse of seemingly nothing. And, you know, there could be anything out there. And in this particular case, we're going to the Simonside Hills. And this is where it's apparently the haunt of the Simonside Dwarfs. But please banish all thoughts of Tolkien's jolly dwarfs singing with gusto as they traverse Middle Earth because their Simonside cousins are far more likely to lure lost travellers to their doom. So we're going to go and meet them in the safest way possible, through the Vale of History and at a very large distance. So to get to the Simonside Hills, you've basically got to go to the lonely stretch of moorland next to the town of Rossbury. And... It's one of those kind of places where if it didn't have some kind of dangerous beings living there, you would wonder why not. They are sometimes called fairy folk or the little people, although I would kind of hesitate about putting them in the same bracket as fairies. And they're also known as the brown men of the moors or boggles. And an article in the Western Morning News in 1923 actually likened them to kobolds in Germany and pixies in the west of England. Obviously, more commonly, they are called the Simon Side Dwarfs. They generally carry lights and scamper around across the hills and they do act in this fashion much more like Will-o'-the-Wisp and that's where you get these marsh lights that sort of seem to bob around on the moor. They are generally caused by the moor kind of expelling gas so it's a completely natural phenomena but obviously if you were to see them in the dark on your own in days gone by before people realised it was marsh gas, you would think it was somebody with a light out on the moor. And generally speaking, when people do see the lights, they're usually solitary travellers and people then follow the lights and end up falling into the bogs. I should point out that in the tales, both the lights and the dwarfs always disappear at dawn. I should point out that obviously, of course, the lights are going to disappear at dawn because you just can't see them anymore. Anyway, who who am I to to throw cold water on these things? And you should also bear in mind that because this is moorland, bogs are an ever-present danger if you do leave the trail. Okay, so there is like a reason why people are like, oh, you shouldn't go on the moors, it's dangerous. Now, the dwarves are also known as Dwargar, 
which many people think actually comes from the Old Norse word for dwarfs, which I think I'm going to probably mangle the pronunciation, but it's it looks like it says dvergar, and it could also refer to the regional dialect because the words dirk and derg both mean dwarf. So sources note them for their magical powers, but also their links to the earth and nature. In this regard, they sort of fall into the same category as nature spirits, and we have talked about things like that before, like the Greek naiads and so on. So these would essentially be an equivalent version for the element of earth. And writing in the Newcastle Chronicle back in 1889, Reverend Oliver Heslop referred to them as a goblin race of beings and actually categorised them alongside brownies instead of fairies, which I think is probably more apt. And according to Heslop, they also once, quote, set the huge wheel of tossing water mill going at night, end quote, and they also lured travellers into the bogs. So they generally sound a little bit mischievous and so on, but as we continue, I'm going to tell you three stories involving the Simon Side Dwarves. They're not just mischievous, they're also actually quite dangerous. Anyway, the Newcastle Courant in 1888 actually noted that, quote, it was dangerous for the solitary wanderer to venture, end quote, among the, quote, tribe of ugly elves and dwarves, end quote. So they're basically just lumping any fairy tale creature together at this point, but this is the late 19th century. Now, one of the tales that you do find in quite a lot of the sources involves a man travelling to Rothbury, and the journey, unfortunately, took longer than he expected. So he wasn't expecting to be wandering around on the moor at night, so when he stumbled across a little hut, he thought, excellent, fab, I've got somewhere to shelter for the night, so he decided to take advantage of it. So he goes into the hut, and he finds a dying fire, two stones, and two gateposts, you know, as you do. So he sits down on one of the stones and puts some more wood on the fire to help build it back up again. He's sitting there, getting himself warm, congratulating himself on his good luck, and a small figure waddles into the hut and sits on the other stone. Now, at first, he completely ignores our bewildered traveller, who basically decides he's going to keep quiet, and he just basically sits there. The fire, however, begins to die down, so the traveller then snaps a piece of wood and adds it to the embers to try and keep it going. Now, at this point, the dwarf realises the guy's there and glares at him, and he takes up one of the gateposts. He snaps the entire thing over his knee and throws it onto the fire. So the traveller thinks, oh no, I've like properly angered him, and he, st- he decides to stay quiet and just let the fire die out. Somehow, during the night, he manages to fall asleep sitting bolt upright. I don't know how he manages that, but bless him, he does. So when dawn breaks the following day, he finds himself sitting on a stone on the moor. He realises that the hut, the fire and the dwarf have all vanished and there's actually no sign of them whatsoever. But then he looks around to get a better sense of his surroundings and he realises that the stone he's sitting on is actually right at the edge of a tall cliff. So if he'd moved at any point during the night, he would have fallen to his death. So he obviously manages to avoid catastrophe by just not saying or doing anything and the dwarf basically leaves him alone. Another tale describes a man who actually deliberately goes looking for the dwarves just to prove that they don't exist and you do have to be careful sometimes if you're trying to prove something doesn't exist because you know what will you do if you find that it does and he basically is out on the moor and he calls out a local word meaning light which is the word tint and a light suddenly appears on the moor. The man moves a little way towards it and then he throws a clod of earth into a bog so it sounds like he's fallen in and immediately the light goes out. So he then realises he's fooled the dwarves so he decides to try again and he cries out tint tint but this time he finds himself surrounded by the Simon Side dwarfs and each of them holds a lit torch and a club and he finally realises that was actually a bit of a stupid idea and he's in a fair bit of danger. 
Now, most people at this point would probably freak out. He decides he's actually going to try and attack them, which is an interesting tactic. And he apparently knocks one down, but his staff doesn't actually touch anything solid. It just passes straight through the figure as if he's not really there. At this point, the dwarfs all vanish and the guy thinks, excellent, I've won. Nothing is ever that simple in folklore, though, as I'm sure you're beginning to realise. And this time, the dwarfs all reappear, this time with reinforcements, and the man does what any man should do in a situation like this, and he faints with shock. When he wakes up at dawn, and I think he's quite lucky to actually wake up at all, the dwarfs have all disappeared, and because it's dawn, it's now safe, and he can head home. I'd, I'd imagine he obviously tells people his story, and I would hope he'd feel a little bit contrite because he was trying to prove they didn't exist in the first place. Now, the third tale actually takes place during the day, which is quite unusual because most of the time the dwarfs disappear at dawn. And in this particular incident, two men encounter a dwarf. And I think it's quite lucky that there's two of them, as you'll see. So two men travel up to Rothbury from Newcastle because they basically want to enjoy the shooting in the area. So they go out hunting and they stop to eat their lunch in a clearing among the heather. And that's one of the things that's absolutely beautiful about Northumberland when the heather's out. The moors look amazing. So if you ever get the chance to come up here, try and do it when the heather's out. Because it's spectacular. Anyway, a short man dressed in clothes, the same shade as the bracken, suddenly walks into the clearing. And this is where I think you find the distinction between the dwarves and the fairies. Because in Northumbrian law, the fairies nearly always wear green and have flaxen hair. They're always like, really beautiful. And they do kind of try and keep to themselves. Like they get involved with humans when they have to. But largely speaking, if you leave them alone, they leave you alone. But in this case, the dwarves wear brown and they're much more earthy in their appearance. So he asks the two men if they know who he was. The younger man says, the lord of the manor, assuming that's who he must be, and offers to hand over the birds that they've shot. At this point, the dwarf declines, saying he's a vegetarian, so he can't eat them. But instead, he invites the two men to join him for a meal. The younger man wants to accept, but the older man politely refuses and hauls his friend back to Rothbury because he realises there's something very, very wrong about this situation. When they get back, they tell the story to the landlord because obviously it's something out of the ordinary and the locals then praise their decision to return because they know that the Simonside dwarves really enjoy luring humans into their lair before feasting on them. So in this case, they had offered to share their lunch and instead almost became lunch. Now, there is an obvious moral to all three of these tales and it's quite simple. Don't go wandering on the moors. And on one hand, it's because that's their space that belongs to the dwarves. But on the other hand, it is also just dangerous and unforgiving terrain. If you don't know what you're doing, you can easily get into trouble. And what better way to keep people on the safer routes than telling tales of goblins lurking in the dark? It's basically how humans have passed on stories of how to look after yourself throughout the years. If you want someone not to do something, you create a story about something that's going to cause harm in that area. Obviously, nowadays, we call it fake news. But in, in those days, it was folklore and fairy tales. So if you look at the traveller who accepts the offer of shelter, he finds himself almost lured over the side of a cliff. The man who tries to disprove their existence does quite the opposite, and our hunters almost end up on the menu themselves. So in all cases, they've kind of been somewhere that they shouldn't. And you could argue that the guy who's just lost and the guys who go hunting aren't really bothering anyone, whereas the guy who's trying to disprove them sort of brings it on himself. But generally speaking, they're all in the domain of the dwarfs.
And the third story, as I say, it is unusual because it does happen during the day, whereas the other stories focus on the fact that they disappear during daylight hours. But the men have to get back to civilization to reach safety. So you get this division between the wilderness, which is really dangerous, and that's where problems lurk, and civilization represented by, in this case, a pub. And I should also point out that on one hand, the dwarves actively go looking for travellers, so they're not just punishing trespassers, they are actually looking for their dinner. Now, weirdly, in December 2016, Rothbury was actually named Dwarven Capital of the World because of the stories of the Simonside Dwarves, and it's a totally unofficial title that came from THQ Nordic, who were a video game developer. And the Northumberland Gazette, who told the story, claims that the idea of the dwarves actually came from the Simonside story, and then it evolved over the centuries into the ale-drinking miners, blacksmiths and warriors that we'd be familiar with from Tolkien's works or even Disney. I'm going to be a little bit wary of that claim, because obviously Disney originally borrowed Snow White from the fairy tale collection of Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm, and they published it in 1812 as part of their Nursery and Household Tales collection. And given the Brothers Grimm collected their original stories in what is now Germany, it's hard to know how old the dwarves in their tale might be, because obviously these were tales that were collected from people who'd heard them from other people, so we don't know how far back those stories go. And the fact that their name, Durgar, is so similar to Dvergar, it could indicate some kind of shared Germanic origin. And an article on the dwarves in the Newcastle Chronicle certainly makes this link, and it calls the dwarfish elves or demons close relations of the Norse Durgar. But it could also just mean that the the dwarves are a distant branch of the family, more keen to help a lost child in the forest than lure men to their deaths on a moor. But basically, either way, it's just another reminder of how sanitised many tales, including fairy tales, have become over the years. And quite honestly, I don't really think Disney would have made Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs if he thought for one minute that Happy might suddenly decide to have Snow White for lunch instead of helping her. So you have to wonder, has the cautionary aspect of these tales been lost? Now, what I want to know is, do you think the Simon Side Dwarves may have existed or even still exist? Because I would have imagined with the number of walkers and climbers who go on the moors, somebody might have caught evidence of them by now, unless it's because everyone goes out during the day when it's a lot safer. So do you think that they're just a warning to lone travellers? Do you think that they are earth spirits who still live on the land? Or are they just cautionary tales? Who knows? So if you if you do want to let us know, as I say, feel free to leave a comment on the blog post for this episode, which is at icysedgwick.com forward slash simonside hyphen dwarfs. You can tweet me at icysedgwick or you can drop us an email at icy at icysedgwick.com. Whatever's easier for you. But anyway, so that's the story of this, uh, the stories, I should say, of the Simonside dwarves. And it is quite interesting how they do appear so often in the 19th century newspapers but then they do occasionally pop up in like newspapers from like the 1970s from what I found on British newspaper archive. Next week we're going to be taking a slightly different road and we're going to be looking at the folklore of crossroads because obviously we're talking about wild and unforgiven places and crossroads usually appear sort of at the edge of somebody's land and so on and they're just a weird place in general in terms of folklore and there's loads to talk about so we'll be having a look at crossroads next week i've been having loads of requests for posts as well so we're going to be looking at all kinds of stuff in the new year like cursed movies basically because of the fact i dressed up as the crow for halloween so we're going to have a look at movies that apparently have a curse attached to them we're going to be having a look at the folklore of rats moths 
layer lines also so if you've got any requests please do feel free to get them in and i can start putting them in the calendar for what we're going to be looking at in the new year and it's actually frightening that i'm already thinking about the new year because it is only november anyway thank you very much for listening i hope you've enjoyed this week's show do remember as ever reviews do help this podcast get more listeners which means that we can spread the folklore joy even further and yeah that's it so i hope you have a fabulous week ahead and i will see you soon cheerio thank you for listening to this week's episode i hope that you enjoyed it if you did feel free to subscribe using whichever podcast app it is that you prefer if you do use itunes if you could leave me a review that would be fab basically it just means itunes are more likely to recommend this to other people and if you're interested in more folklore please feel free to swing by my blog which is www.icsedgwick.com and that's sedgwick spelled s-e-d-g-w-i-c-k and you can find all of the links images and other bits and pieces that hopefully you enjoy so have an absolutely fab week ahead and i'll see you soon cheerio